episode number 29 of Robot Radio. This is Greg Stam, and I'm here along with my co-host, Andrew Martin. How are you? I'm doing all right, I suppose. Considering the circumstances? Considering the circumstances, definitely. I mean, when I'm sitting there, all I can think to tweet about is the fact that Matt Cain had a no-hitter going into the eighth. It, it, it was a boring game today, and the, everyone was swinging at the first pitch, the second pitch. Nobody worked to count. It just, I mean, even the second time through the lineup... Make him throw you two strikes. It seems like that happens in a lot of no-hitters. It, you make it a lot easier on your opposing pitcher to throw a no-hitter when you swing at the first or second pitch every time. Yeah, which, I mean, that's obviously you're going to swing early in the count all the time, unless you are all Carlos Gonzalez or Vlad Guerrero or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no necessary correlation. Some, I, I have a friend who actually ran studies on this, that there's no correlation between... Uh, number of pitches per plate appearance and actual batting success. Mm-hmm. But just in a uh, in a more, you know, micro, the microcosm of a baseball game, yeah, working the count's not a bad thing, especially when you get down to the relief pitchers. I would say there probably is a correlation between your patience at the plate and how well the opposing pitcher does. Well, we, I think this, it was actually stacked uh, of OPS versus pitches for plate appearance. And so right. There's a, and there's no definitive, I mean... There might be a vague correlation there, but nothing you could actually, like, you know, hang your hat on. Right. In terms of relating the patience of the plate to how the offensive at bat goes. Right. I, I understand that, yeah. Um, but uh, frustrating, frustrating game. I mean, the, after last night's excitement, and we were talking about this on Sunday, obviously, so Saturday night's excitement with uh, the Tulowitzki double and the Gonzalez, you know, scoring on that, running around, exciting, exciting, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, the magic is back, and then we just came out and fell flat on our faces. Mm-hmm. I know we struggle against Matt, uh, Matt Camp, Matt Kane, but it's a, uh, that's an excuse, it's just an excuse, and I'm not trying to call any individual player out here, because I mean, Jay Payton broke up the no-hitter, and then Melvin Moore put us on the board, you know, good for them, but our superstars were just looking pathetic. If I can... Uh, Interject for one second. A funny uh, thing that I read, I think it was on, uh, it might have been somewhere on uh, McCovey Chronicles, but it was that Jay Payton also, in in 2006 when he was with Oakland, was also responsible for the only hit in a Matt Cain complete game. Oh, go out. I did not realize that. Awesome. So there was some, some Jay Payton hatred going on there. He's yeah, don't broken up two, two cane no-hitters. <laughs> Here's another funny note here. Speaking of uh, giant no-hitters getting broken up, sort of, Jonathan Sanchez, that I think it was 2008, had a perfect game going until a Juan Uribe error. And that maybe yeah, the no-no. they, they, they were today, talking about that, too. It was, a, yeah, yeah uh, Uribe. Uh, single was uh, to Uribe. It, yeah, it was a, a, sort of a double clutch on his part. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was going to be close either way, but it certainly didn't uh, help. He did take a little longer than he would have wanted to getting rid of that ball. Yeah, I mean, not, nothing, uh, not really to bash the guy. It's just kind of funny that two monumental kinds of games, he was responsible for blowing the next level of monumentalism. Uh-huh. I just made up a word there, just if you're all wondering. Makes sense. Trivia. We also noticed from Saturday, night game, Saturday Night's Game, and uh, Matt Musia pointed this out. He goes, when's the last time... You saw two 38-year-old men hitting back-to-back triples in the same inning. The reason that we have so many of these, you know, multi-triple innings and stuff like that is just we have gigantic power alleys. And we were, I was kind of laughing because when Matt pointed out two 38-year-old men hitting triples in the same inning, I said, I bet the Giants have done it, what with triples alley combined with... Uh, All the 38-year-old you know, players, yeah. Players. <laughs> right. Um... But no, I mean, uh, I'm at Massive Hitters Park. It's funny how the Rockies seem to put uh, 
put historical numbers on the board of triples because the, still the, the the biggest tripling event that I can recall in Rockies history was when Corey Sullivan. I was just about to bring that up. Inning yeah, against was, the Padres hadn't been done since the fifties. I'm assuming that that's one of the three times that the Rockies have hit three triples. I'm not a hundred percent sure because I think somebody else tripled in that inning too, and they said since. That was in 2006, so that was yes. in the time frame that I'm referring to. Corey Sullivan's been a part of a couple weird plays there. I mean, de- definitely, uh, definitely don't miss him. I'm not going to lie to you, but uh, definitely interesting to see him in the in the annals of time for something like that. Guy had definite base running speed. Couldn't steal very well and couldn't get on base or bat or do much else very well, but good for Sullivan. Uh-huh. Yeah, I... I can't remember what happened to him. He was with the Houston earlier, but I think he left. Yeah, he probably just got cut or something like that. Now, I remember uh, Sullivan being a... Uh, yeah, he's a free a agent right now. Sing- yeah, he, he got the pinch hit single off Esmeal Rogers in a very disappointing Houston game. There were a lot of disappointing Houston and games this season. Honestly, they... I mean, I never thought Houston, the Houston Astros would be a thorn in our side, but it's funny because of the... Last season, when uh, Jim Tracy took the reins, it was against Houston that we started actually, you know, making that massive comeback from where we were in uh, May or June. Mm-hmm. It looks like Corey Sullivan, according to uh, this page here, was designated for assignment on the same day as three of his other teammates, all of whom were replaced by rookies. Yeah, it stands to reason. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, will not claim that the Astros have any idea what they're doing. Okay, I was just going to say, uh, looking at. You know, the way Jay Payton's been batting in the clutch and stuff like that, and the fact that we don't know where Matt Miller and Cole Garner are going to be next season, if we end up not retaining them, it sounds bizarre to say something like this, but if we're going to be talking about, you know, 25th man on the on the team or whatever, and we don't bring back Giambi, uh, Jay Payton might not be a bad option. I mean, good, decent pinch runner, decent defender. I mean, you got the whole veteran clubhousey thing, and I'm, I mean, he seems... I never heard any negative reports about him. I mean, I, I, then again, I might not have looked too hard for him either. But I mean, just he's kind of one of those guys. He's you know toolsy or something, even at age thirty-eight and thirty-nine next season. So mm-hmm. you know, who knows? It just it's kind of funny looking at the uh, the talent that we have that has come through big for us. And uh, like last year, a lot of it was Giambi, obviously. And then this year, we had Melvin Moore stepping in when Stewart got hurt and being and, and doing pretty well for himself down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And then Jay Pate in the September call-up. And, and one of our uh, posters on Purple Row actually pointed this out, and it was a really interesting thing that the Rockies did Peyton a favor by calling him up in September because he now was active on a major league team in 10 seasons, which makes him eligible for MLB pension. Oh, interesting. Which I thought was just a... A very cool little tidbit there, and so, I mean, because the fact that Jay Payton played in our organization was kind of a joke in itself, just because, I mean, come on, it's Jay Payton, you know, it's not as if he's an impact player anymore, but definitely showed a lot of life down in AAA, and then, you know, he's been, you know, opsing over a 1,000 for us uh, in September, so it's all been clutch singles and hitting for, you know, a couple doubles, and then that triple last night and such, but you, you see my point. Yeah, no, um, uh, I don't want to get too heavily into the 2011 roster, but I'm oh, no, just, just, just no, I'm, it wasn't an accusation. I'm just going to speculate real quick. I'm I'm uh, saying that I'm not. I promise I'm not going to ramble on about this for too long. But um, I don't really know. There, there's so many weird conditions going into the bench next year because we have a lot of players who have options and don't need to make the team, but we also have a bunch of players who are 
you know, who have been in either in AAA for multiple years or have already excelled there, and we'd just be sending them back to repeat something they don't need to do. So we're kind of in an interesting situation where just looking at kind of the way the bench is shaking out, we have our backup catcher, we have Ryan Spielborgs, we have whoever is not playing, who somebody who is not the starting second baseman who is a utility man, and then presumably we have two other spots, one of which is a corner infielder who can play first or third or both, and the other one, I guess, is your Jay Payton character. A lot of it depends. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, I don't really know if they're even going to go for the fifth outfield route, because if they have somebody like Jonathan Herrera or Eric Young who's being the, the utility guy instead of the starting second baseman, they have somebody else who can play the outfield. And that might encourage them to do something like bring Giambi back again. Yeah. But, well, uh, frankly, a lot of this will depend on what Dexter Fowler does with himself next year, because I've not been impressed this season with Fowler. And uh, You don't think he's a guarantee to make the team? No, 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 not so much not make the team, but I just don't think he's going to be guaranteed the starting spot. And, uh... We're going, I mean, Fowler's being, you know, he's, worst case scenario, I don't see him not making the team because of the impact and speed and his center field defense and all those good things. Mm-hmm. But the way he's been batting has just been poor, so he'll at least be able to find a spot as a bench player with us. I don't see, I don't see him not being, uh, I don't see anyone else who's in AAA really being able to beat Fowler out for his spot is what I'm kind of getting at. Okay. And that's about it. So, anyways, you uh, we won't ramble too much about the offseason. We right. have a lot of offseason to talk about in the next, you know, six months. So yeah, uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking about players making the team over and over and over again. So there's no reason to start right now. So getting over a season with the San Francisco Giants, there's an elephant in the room, isn't there, Greg? Uh, maybe, but I'm honestly not sure what you're referring to. Uh, well, the elephant in the room. If you are not familiar with the phraseology there. It's that topic that we don't always want to talk about, but it's there. And it's the humidor. Oh, I didn't realize that was an elephant in the room because we talk about it all the time. Well, I feel like it's an elephant in the room because I hate talking about it. Oh, well. I just hate it's It's, well, we, you go ahead and lead off the topic because I just have opinions and you have information. Um, the only thing to talk about really regarding the humidor is rather than, you know, elaborating on the whole history of how people have been getting more and more suspicious of it this season, is that uh, yesterday it was announced that after a formal complaint from San Francisco, the, uh, the MLB office uh, changed the official procedures for how the humidor is handled. More specifically, uh, as detailed in Troy Rank's article on the Denver Post, the humidor balls are no longer transported from the humidor by the Coors Field staff, but rather by the umpires themselves. And secondly, the ball bag where the humidor balls are stored is always in view of the umpire, rather down than down buried in the dugout somewhere. They're not really big changes, but at the same time, it caused a little bit of a stir that I thought we should address a little bit. Well, well, funny thing, you're saying something about keeping the ball bag in sight of the umpires. Uh, Rank actually tweeted on uh, the on through uh, with the Saturday's game yesterday. Uh, yeah, sa- yeah. So Saturday's game, he said if the Rockies had a sense of humor, then they would just put the ball bag on the mound next to Hamill. <laughs> or that they, would have been funny. They should uh, set it right next to the umpire himself. And then the, some catcher trips over it, and <laughs> that's done. Which is yeah. why they don't. But it was just for the sake of the humor. Of, I mean, Rank, Rank was trying not to uh, 
be too snarky about it because I think he finds it just as ridiculous as most of us do. But uh-huh. I, um, yeah, it, it the thing about the humidor is the Giants are obviously griping about it, and I'm not sure what their deal with griping about it is. I think that John Miller saying something suddenly gave everyone right to be well, look at us. We, we we have someone big in Hall of Fame, you know to. Uh, you know, who has got our back, so our griping isn't unmitigated. Keep in mind also that Tim Lincecum thought something was up in Friday's game. Oh, yeah, if you recall the game, he, the camera was on him as he uh, he mumbled something about, uh, you know, juiced balls and pro- possibly a couple obscenities. Uh-huh. But it's, it's one of those tricky things. I was reading an article by Jeff Passan on Yahoo, and he basically said, I'm not accusing the Rockies of cheating. However... I'm wondering if they would go get someone who would be willing to cheat. And he was just kind of joking around. I mean, it was meant lightheartedly, not saying Rocky should fire Jim Tracy and go get Bobby Valentine because he'll cheat, but uh, nothing like that. But he's more just kind of joking around with the idea that ever since baseball's inception, players uh, or the players and the teams have been trying to find edges find, to get ahead. Find ways, yeah, find advantage. I mean, they asked, during this whole steroid debacle, or even after, they asked the uh, um, should be Hall of Famer Buck O'Neill what his opinion on uh, steroids was, and he says, well, as long as I know, baseball players have been trying to get ahead, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting if they had some sort of people in the administration that were finding ways to do that. I still don't think they, they are even trying to cheat using the humidor, but uh, really, the reason I wanted to bring this up, I think, was there was a strange, in my opinion, strange amount of uh, negative feedback for the uh, um, the changes that they made here. And while I kind of see that they're, they're silly in the sense that, one, the complaint to begin with is a little bit silly, and two, because you don't really know that the changes they institute are going to make that much of a difference. But at the same time, they're not interfering with the, the operations of the game, and they're so there's such small little changes, they don't inconvenience anybody. So my perspective is, why not? If, if no, I agree with high, you there. Let's, uh, let's let them do what they want, let them observe whatever they need to observe, and uh, maybe that'll help clear the name a little bit. And I'm not just trying to speak to the the uh, you know the ideal um, morals and values and integrity of the Rockies club, but it's I don't think that they were cheating with it. I honestly don't. And um, I, the one thing is you gotta I have to avoid fan commentary because fan commentary is stupid and they overly excited sometimes. And uh, but people trying to say that, that, that we are blatantly cheating and not understanding the fact that this is the MLB sanctioned humidor. You can't just go and mess with the baseball just without any kind of approval by Major League Baseball. And what a lot of people also don't seem to understand is that we're not taking, you know, perfectly good baseballs and waterlogging them. If you don't recall the, uh, from course, you know, the Colorado Rockies' inception through about 2000, how uh, everybody complained about the golf balls in Coors Field. Mm-hmm. All this is doing is returning the baseballs to manufacturer's spec. So if you weren't completely aware of this, even though they've been talking about us for about a decade now, that's what the deal is. I mean, it's I, and people will say, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. Well, it's also not fair for us to expect to put a Major League Baseball team on the field without being able to use manufacturer spec equipment. Mm-hmm. It's like, why don't we just bat with fungos while we're at it, too? I mean, it's Coors Field, right? It makes the ballpark different. No, it's, that's crap. I mean, the ballpark can be different, but not the equipment. It's like asking fielders to field with a smaller glove or something like that. It's just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. So 
I mean, the, the, what's interesting is that the Arizona's thinking about it doing a humidor as well now because they are the second highest elevation team in baseball. And uh, granted, they are quite a bit lower than Colorado is, but they're, it's not as if they're, you know, a foot above sea level. They're, you know, I, I'd have to look up the actual elevation of Phoenix, but it's, it's up there, and they have to deal with altitude and humidity effects as well being such a dry area, um, which is actually kind of funny because the next highest team after Arizona is Atlanta. Hmm. Yeah, that just, yeah. Um, well, I read somewhere a long time ago, not that long, maybe 2008 or so, somebody wrote an article about uh, uh, the idea of building humidors for every stadium in order to create a storage uh, consistency at, at every spot, whereas the equipment is always kept in the exact same specifications. And, it does, and considering how much Major League Baseball grosses in revenue every year, I don't know, it would clear up any suspicion about everyone. It would have, I mean, at least, just for the sake of the most fundamental part of the game, the actual baseball, having that be the same in every park you play at, no matter what, I don't, I mean, granted, 20 out of 30 ballparks, if not, you know, 28 out of 30 ballparks, don't have a problem with it given their conditions, but I can't imagine, that, you know, Miami or San Diego at night or something isn't going to be a more difficult ball to hit given the humidity than it would be if, um, you know, I'm not literally saying that the ball like, – like San Diego, Petco Park is like the antithesis of Coors Field as far as hitters park to pitchers park. I don't think the baseball is going to be that as different as they are in Colorado as they would be in San Diego. As I so, understood it, the, the effects in San Diego have much less to do with the condition of the ball and more to the condition of the stadium and the environment. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Right. Well, no, I'm agreeing with you because I think that it wouldn't make that much of a difference, but it would still be a consistency. It would, it would take away from the uh, – I mean, the reason people are afraid of the humidor is because we're doing something to the balls that nobody else does, and it makes them, yeah. them confused. But if it were a standardization across, across Major League Baseball, there wouldn't be really much to argue about because – all it would be doing is keeping them, as you said, to their, their default specifications in terms of their weight and size and such. And all the other factors, environment, stadium, uh, shape and size and distance and all that would still play in, in making the baseball experience very different. So I don't think it would be an equalizer. I just think it would be, again, a standardization to, to start the, the, the baseballs in the same condition, so to speak. And that's probably a fair way to put it, is standardization rather than uh, um, equalizing the opportunity or whatever, because, you know, even if you humid or the baseballs in Coors Field like we are right now, mm-hmm. the balls are still going, there's still going to be more offense in this park, humidor or no humidor. That's just how it is. Right, because of the of the size of the outfield, especially. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's going to be the same thing. You know, I guarantee you this will not make that much of a difference. The reason the complaints are obvious, it isn't for se- full-season numbers. It's, oh, look, the Rockies are down in the seventh inning, and they have a runner on. Let's give them a juiced ball. Well, Sports Illustrated ran an article basically saying that the Rockies only scored 30% of their runs in inning six through eight, which would suggest that and, and that we're actually scoring less in those innings than we would. Right. Uh, normally, I mean, a nine-inning game, 33% should be of uh, runs should be scored conceivably, you know, every three-inning block. Well, you know, the time it really I, – I, I, I can't remember if uh, this was when the San Francisco stuff started to really come come out of the, the woodwork from John Miller or whoever. I can't remember exactly when that was. John but, Miller. Well, no, I, I, I know it was him, but I just don't yeah, remember when exactly it happened. It, it it was somewhere around the time when we had that crazy nine inning ninth inning comeback against St. Louis where we were down like seven or eight runs or whatever, 
Uh, complained first. Yeah, but I don't think there were any. Uh, I mean, th- for example, they didn't submit an official complaint like San Francisco did. Well, Tony LaRusso just whines mm-hmm. and whines and whines. If you recall, during the playoffs last year, during during that same series where Barmas made the ridiculous catch that wasn't a catch, but it was a catch. Um, basically, he pulled a Jeter before Jeter pulled a Jeter. Um, the, the Cardinals are complaining about the bullpen mound. That the bullpen mound had a different slope and stuff like that than uh than it to the actual pitcher's mound. And what they came back on that is, you know, the guy who runs our bullpen attendant, so the, the, the head bullpen attendant, was actually LaRusso's bullpen attendant in, in Oakland. Mm. And they would pull that kind of crap all the time. And so it's kind of like saying, well, Tony, now you complain about it? Hmm, pot meets kettle, I dare say. You're allowed to alter that angle for any team except mine. Yeah. <laughs> then you can do it. <laughs> and I, I guess I can't complain about it so much. I mean, you're going to always stick up for your own team, so complain's the wrong word, but it just seems stupid. It's like, you should know this is going to come back around, Tony. I mean, I know you're old and getting a little weird in the head, even more so than normal, but uh, come on, man. Let's, uh, let, let's think about what you're saying right now. How dare they pull stunts that I've pulled in the past? How dare they? I am LaRusa. As he stands there with the rainbow behind him and like you know golden light coming from his eye, I don't know. He shoots he shoots lightning bolts out of his eyes. Yeah, and fire from his arse. Uh, we don't need that part. Oh come on, it's a Braveheart <laughs> quote. I just watched Braveheart the other day, but that's irrelevant. It is um, irrelevant. <laughs> so honestly, I, really, my opinion of it is we had nothing to hide in the first place, and if this is going to be giving the babies their bottle, sure. Add an attendant. Keep the balls in a different place. Make the umpires do more stuff. I'm okay with that. And if it's just going to, like, I guarantee you nothing will change. Because it's not as if, it is, I mean, it's not as if this whole little cheating tactic is only good for us. I mean, how many, we've lost some big come from behinds in Coors Field as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that Phillies game where they were up and down and we kind of came back and then we lost again and then they get, oh, man. Where was it? Where, where were the complaints then? It, it was pretty amusing that yesterday's game involved a late game walk off, when uh, that was exactly what they that that was that was exactly what was making people suspicious about it. And it was a high scoring game too. It was a high scoring game, but the the, the walk off runs it wasn't a home run. No, it, 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 Tulowitzki hit a ground ball double into the gap that the Uribe almost had dived to get it and just couldn't get to it. I mean, a legitimate hit. And if I recall correctly, Gonzalez's hit was a, it was an infield single as well. And so, I mean, we're not talking about balls that just hang and hang and hang and hang and hang. I mean, maybe Tulowitzki just is that good. He is having a po- you know, he's having a September that's rivaling Babe Ruth. I mean, if he can pull out four RBIs in the next uh, seven games, he will have the um, the record for most RBI in a month. And you know, I always eschew the. Uh, the importance of RBI, but just as far as baseball trivia goes, it's interesting as hell to say that Tulowitzki is doing something that pretty much like two baseball players have ever done, Sammy Sosa and Babe Ruth or something like that. And, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily – I mean, he's hit a lot of home – he's hitting them on the road too. So I'm, I know I'm kind of drifting over to Tulowitzki here, but if Tulowitzki's mashing on the road and mashing at home, can we just blame Coors Field for Tulowitzki's success? Or, you know, credit it, I should say. Mm. I, I I think it's a being a bit overblown. Teams are just, you know, they're whining because they're not winning as every game they think they should win. We don't win every game we think we should win. Do we go and make up crap about them? I mean, you don't see the Rockies filing a formal complaint against Ted Lilly for pitching off the rubber. Yeah, that, I saw you point that out on Twitter when that was happening. He was coming pretty close. Yeah, you, if, I mean, 
um, I, I've actually seen the umpire call him on it a couple of times. And it, I mean, I don't think there's any penalty or anything involved. They usually, hey, 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 on the rubber. So you had to kind of slide over to their half inch. But you watch his plant foot, or not his plant foot, but his pivot foot, and he is dangerously close to the dirt. Well, uh, that actually raises a question, because I'm not really sure how the actual rules of this work. Do you have, for a while, I always thought you had to start on the mound when you did your wind-up, but you could leave it in the middle. Do you have to plant, do you have to, does the pitch have to come off your hand while you're attached to the rubber? I don't believe so. It's more, it has more to do with the motion of the pitch. You have to begin on the rubber, and then as you, because when you, if you think about it, when you're in the pitching motion, when you're uh, when your momentum's all forward and your body's forward, your plant foot is going to land in front of the rubber, and then as you're moving forward, your back foot is going to come off of the uh, come off the rubber. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the issue at hand. It's more where you're starting, and I think it has more to do with the le- how far left or how far right you are. Just to say, it's just not fair to be throwing from absurd angles and expect batters to hit them. You know, right? If you're stepping off to the side and throwing at a completely different angle, then yeah, I understand. It's just it seems. It seems like the kind of thing that would be a little difficult to, uh, uh, not to notice, but to, to quantify in terms of how serious of, a, of an infraction it is. Oh, yeah, and, and I'd have to look at the MLB rulebook about that, but this just came off the top of my head. I mean, the point was, you didn't hear us filing a formal complaint against Ted Lilly, mm-hmm. because he owned us that game, if I recall correctly, and uh, I, I was just making kind of a humorous point of, you know, damn it, Lilly, get back on the rubber. The only time that I, that, that the, uh, that sort of thing really happened this year on our side was uh, the Phillies and the, and, the, and the whole binocular thing. Yeah, that's cheating as well. Uh huh. I don't. Do, you, do we file an official complaint about that? I think we did, or if we did, that's one we, thing we, that's some, we can... somehow they got in some sort of official trouble because that's what tipped uh, uh, Charlie Manuel off about it and got him really mad for a little while because he did get reprimanded by somebody in the office. What was funny about that, if you recall, too, is that uh, the Rockies were the ones who kind of took the brunt of that because they got busted right after the Rockies series because that's when they got blatantly caught. But Manuel kind of, you know, stumbled all over himself like, oh, I wasn't yelling at Jim Tracy. I was yelling at Jerry Manuel for the Mets because we're rivals. Uh-huh. But, you know, whatever. It may, it's drama, just drama, but it's, I don't know, I guess that's part of what makes the, the, the element of cheating in baseball is, is kind of what makes it almost funnier than other sports in its own unique, archaic kind of way. Because mm-hmm. with the other three major sports, I, I, I mean, it's a lot harder to cheat. I mean, yeah, fouling and stuff like that, but like when I talk about cheating, I don't mean officially sanctioned things. Like, you can't, I mean, you, yeah, you, there might be a missed call. A, a, a hockey player might hook another hockey player and it might get missed by the ref. There might be a holding that was missed. There might be a a foul going up the on the drive in basketball that's missed or something like that. But with baseball, all eyes are on the pitcher and the batter, and then who, the, all eyes are on the ball whenever it goes everywhere. So it's not as if Tulowitzki can stand there and cheat or something like that while waiting to field a baseball or trying to bat a baseball because all eyes are on them. There's no missing them. And there's not really anything they can do anyway unless they, like – Unless Tulowitzki did something weird, like built a little trench in front of him or something, and used that to catch the ball, <laughs> there's not really any cheating that you can do. At least not that I can think of. Although somebody clever might come up with something. No, you're right, and and it's I I, I like it. I'm kind of mixed down the middle because I want the game to be fair and. Some days when the umpires are really bad, I want robot umpires and, you know, jo- things like that. And I don't really want them. It's just kind of something I 
you know, there's got to be a better way to do it than to watch people blow every other call. But at the same time, um, I, that's kind of what makes baseball almost more entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. Is that that the things like like elements of cheating and stuff like that are just so unique, and they have to be so creative, like stealing signs and stuff like that. I mean, just it, it, it's it's all seat of your pants kind of stuff. It's so hard to premeditate a lot of it. And you can kind of look at it in the sense that a lot of people see the problem with cheating as being as it's being some sort of lazy activity. Yet you can't be lazy and cheat. In baseball, you have to put effort into it. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, as they say. Hmm. Um. No, it, it's it. That's one of my favorite things about reading back through, like books about baseball history and stuff like that, is hearing the ridiculous stories. And uh, one of them I had heard. Uh, um, I might have mentioned this. On, did I ever tell the story about the potato on the podcast? Maybe, but I don't recall. So okay, you might as well do it again. Everyone's heard of a hidden ball trick where uh, meeting at the mound and then one of the fielders takes the ball back and in the middle of the batter, take, the runner takes his lead, the fielder suddenly pulls the ball out and tags him. The old hidden ball trick. It's, uh, you know, no one ever falls for it anymore. I mean, once in a blue moon, you'll get it. It's, uh, but it, uh, it, stuff like that. Well, this one particular uh, instance, um, pitcher uh, goes in, there's a meeting at the mound, pitcher goes to his windup, throws the ball to the catcher. Runner at second base is off the bag. Catcher goes, throws the bat, throws the ball, air mails it in the center field. Runner takes off from second. Runner from third is heading home, and the pitchers run home to ca- to, to cover. And all of a sudden, um, the ball is, at, catch, is back at back the at the ball plate. Is at home plate. Runner gets yeah. tagged out, and everyone goes, "What happened?" Well, it turns out that they, they threw a potato. They threw a. They had a baked potato. They peeled and shaved down to the size of a baseball. Catcher airmails that one <laughs> to center field. Center fielder runs up, grabs the potato, eats the potato, so they can hide all evidence. I mean, he's got a mouthful of potato while this is going on, and the catcher had the ball the entire time, or the pitcher had the ball. One of the two there. It had to be the catcher because the uh-huh. pitcher had the ball. And, and I mean, I might be, it might have been a pickoff move action. Now that I think about it, with the pitcher turning, swinging around, and throwing it a second, but you get the idea. Airmail in the center field, and the field center field eats the potato, and the runner gets tagged out. And because there was no potato left. The umpires knew that the, the team that pulled this potato stunt off cheated, but they couldn't prove any of it. Well, I don't remember exactly I what the outcome of that was, but just it, ridiculous it, cheating. It, it seems cheat. like you you could prove it because otherwise the ball would be in two places at once. There had to be some sort of fake, uh, you know, dummy ball that was that was involved. Mm-hmm. But which, which is just I don't know hilarious because I they, they might have reversed the call on the play or something like that, but. You can't see it. There's no way that the other team's going to put, like, a pumpkin out in the basketball court and everyone's going to be fooled by it or something like that. You're not going to take a baked ham and put it in the game as a football and be like, oh, this football feels heavier than normal. Oh, well. But sports cheating is one of my favorite things in the world just for the sake of amusement. I don't approve of it, per se, but, um, like, the funny creative cheating is entertaining. I remember one uh, – a football player, actually. I'll make this one really quick because we're talking about baseball. But he would wrap his fingertips in athletic tape, and under his athletic tape he'd put thumbtacks – and shave them down so they're only just poking past the edge of the uh, of the athletic tape. They had this mu- total mud bowl football game, and this guy you know caught everything that came at him and scored a couple big touchdowns huh. and stuff. Fascinating. And, uh, I don't recall if he got caught or not, but uh, I mean he got caught at some point, but not during that game. And yeah, it was uh, sports cheating is hilarious. So I don't know if if there's much more to say about the humidor unless you have some opinions you want to share about it. I already said that I pretty much uh, totally approve of them 
taking these 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 steps and measures if if they think it's necessary. I, I'm not a, I'm not offended by it. I'll reiterate my stance. We have nothing to hide. We're not cheating. And if this is what they need to shut up, then we'll do it. It's not going to hurt anyone. And oh no, it's going to cost Major League Baseball another person's part-time salary. Ah, watch out. Um, yeah, this should put an end to it. And if it doesn't, then they just need to fight, shut up because they are really. They, then it becomes a legit witch hunt. Mm-hmm. So Anyways, we can talk. Done. We can talk for a few more minutes to wrap up the podcast. If you, since you you said you were interested in talking about uh, players who uh, we should be playing or changes we should be making down this final week of the season, now that it seems pretty clear that we're not in playoff contention anymore. And barring if we somehow sweep the Dodgers next week, suddenly this whole thing turns around or something. You know what I mean? Especially if San Diego and San Francisco have uh, bad series. Yeah, if they lose out and we win out for the next three games, yes, then it's going to be whatever Jim Tracy can concoct. But realistically speaking, the season's over here, and I know that there's still believers out there. I know it could happen, but I am not a. I'm not going to put any stock into the potential of a postseason run this year. Um, mm-hmm. We the, the the fact of it is is that they need to be using the rest of this the next seven games here as kind of last minute auditions. I would or just, I, I, I you could also look at it as very early auditions before spring training. You could, yeah, you could. I want to see. Uh, and we've been saying this for a month now, but I mean, really, we need to see Chris Young play more baseball. You mean Chris Nelson? Of course, I mean Chris Nelson. Yeah. Stupid two Chris Youngs. Yeah, there were there were already two Chris Youngs, so you thought there might be a third one. You're right. Chris Nelson. Excuse me, I am stupid. Chris Nelson needs to be seeing more playing time. I'd love to see Chris Nelson see more playing time. The fact is, we've seen what Eric Young has to offer. I'm not saying this is all he has. He could. I mean, every year he in the minor leagues, people are like, oh, he's done. There's no way, blah blah blah. And he just kept getting better every year, and kept and now he's in the majors and could be the favorite for second base next year, but not giving Nelson a shot at it is very, um, it's just unfair to the team and to Nelson. And, I mean, he's a former first-round pick. He's a guy that needs to be getting playing time. Now that he's finally shown that he's healthy, I mean, whether or not he can stay healthy is another story. If he's losing playing time to John Herrera, Jim Tracy, and... I mean, I guess I've got to, you know, put, hang Dan O'Dad on, up on this, too, because if O'Dad really wanted Nelson playing more, he would have said, Tracy, you play Nelson now. But mm-hmm. uh, we still see Herrera and Eric Young getting starts. Um, I mean, the Barmas thing is obviously done. If anything, we'll, we'll worry about that on the, the offseason. But, uh, I mean, we got to get Nelson some playing time now. I mean, just to see what he can do as a, as a starter in any, in any capacity – now, the reason I don't think he's going to do it is until we have that X by our name, we're going to keep trying to win, and God bless him for trying. If any team who doesn't keep trying to win, I mean, you probably shouldn't root for him. But, uh, I don't know, Eric Young has not exactly been doing a great job of things lately. No. Um, and Johnny Herrera kind of is what he is. Yeah, he's scrappy, and he'll foul a couple pitches off and stuff like that, and he'll have a couple, you know, nice scrappy single games. And he's had a few, a, a fair share of those recently as well. So yeah, and, and that's going to give him more, more looks too. But haven't I mean I don't know. I, I feel like it is Nelson's legitimate turn to get playing time. Yeah, and not, no, and playing I'm, time is not fair. I mean, it's kind of disingenuous given our whole organizational mantra, I guess. I, I mean, it kind of depends on what they envision his role being. Can he hold down third and first? Maybe. I mean, I know he's been a shortstop, but. 
Well, they've you know, been, that could be going away. They've been playing him at third somewhat. He's, he got that one start when he was up in the Boston series at third, and then yeah. they sent him down to the minors, and they played him at third a third of the time. So he's kind of transitioned over there. I, I totally agree with it, at least in one sense, because I, I really like Nelson and I like what I've seen of him this year. And I, I, my personal favorite for the second base spot would be him over Eric Young Jr. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the way it is. I think he's going to be going into spring training as the heavy favorite, but I, I prefer yeah. Chris Nelson right now. And well, I, the, uh, the ideal vision of Eric Young, go ahead. Even with the uh, the fact that he hasn't been getting a lot of playing time, I still think it's it's jumping the gun a little bit to assume that Eric Young is going to get handed the spot. I don't think he is. I think he's he's going to go in saying, "We're going to take you, all things being equal, but otherwise you can lose this job." Uh, yeah, I mean, it is. His, what I'm more saying is that it seems as of this point, it is his to lose. And this isn't meant to be a question on his defense. I don't think I don't think there's going to be any kind of real change in defensive overall ability between Nelson and uh, and Eric Young, except for the fact that Nelson's played some more time at shortstop, which could at least somewhat speak to the fact that he might be able to hold down second base better than Eric Young, but whatever. I think Young might get the heavier nod based on the fact that we don't have a lot of base-stealing talent. And when I say base-stealing talent, yes, Gonzalez almost went 30-30 this year, which is pretty darn impressive in itself, and Tulewitzki's not a bad base runner either. But a guy like Young who could steal 50... Mm-hmm. Like easily with a full season could steal fifty bases, and that's especially key if, as as we speculated about earlier, if Fowler ends up in a part time role. Uh, yeah, and, and Young, Young is really the only guy like, who who fits that traditional leadoff uh, style there. The traditional leadoff style being scrappy, low power hitter who can run fast. Not scrappy, mm-hmm. but you know, could be scrappy. Gets, Doesn't have to not be scrappy. Eh. <laughs> yeah, eh, whatever. What I think I think Eckstein led off for St. Louis for some time. Yeah, probably. My, my thought is, is that if Eric Young can't get on base better than a 340 clip, I don't want him in the leadoff. Then I he'll be 2008 Willie Tavares. Exactly. That's exactly what he looks even worse than that, but even though he stole, what, like 60 bases? Uh-huh. Like, Tavares was absurd that year. I, if I ran the numbers on him uh, last offseason about uh, if he had been able to pull off 2007's uh, slash lines as far as on base percentage goes, combined with 2008's base stealing effectiveness, combined with a full season of playing time, as if he, cause he got hurt, and then 2008 he got right. benched and he was just terrible, he would have stolen over 90 bags. That's crazy. And uh, that, is just, that is just projecting uh, based on you know number of t- attempts for time on base and steal success. But just, I mean, that's why it's not a bad idea to have a guy up there. And when Fowler and EY were both hitting like for like that two-week span there, it was unstoppable, but the fact is they both have to hit. Mm-hmm. And in 2007, Kaz and Willie Tavares were both hitting. Not necessarily great, but it was, I mean, it was a ridiculously good combo. And if we could get something like that out of EY and Dex, we'd be unstoppable. Which is funny, too, because it would be a second-base center field combination again. Yep, it would. <clears throat> but until Eric Young... Except they'd probably be flip-flopped, base. and second base would be leading off, and center yeah. field... Yeah. Uh, yes. Anyways... If, he, if the two of them cannot rationalize being at the top of the lineup with their on base percentage, they shouldn't be playing, and we should be giving someone else a shot at it. And that, and this is almost not even an argument of where they're playing the lineup, because you can debate up and down how much lineup effects really have to do with the game and how much the ideal lineup will affect your team rather than a less than ideal lineup, because no one's going to be stupid enough to bat their pitcher first and stupid stuff like that. But uh, um, until... 
the two of them show that they are legitimate on-base threats to steal bases with, there's no reason to put them at the top of the lineup. And until they can really prove they belong every day in a major league lineup, give someone else a shot. Mm. And that's what they've been doing. I mean, benching Fowler was one of the best decisions they've made this September. And I, I hate to you know to harp on the guy because I like Dexter Fowler. I think he's got all the tools and all that jazz. But no, just no. Yeah, I uh, think that makes sense, and especially since we we're, we have Jay Payton having a relatively decent September. Um, a thousand OPS is pretty darn decent. Well, small sample size, but obviously, uh, exactly, obviously, it. it it, you have Even to. with a small sample, he is still having a good... Precisely, number. exactly. So, uh, it's funny looking at our outfield depth right now, because behind Spielborg's in the fourth outfield spot, or Fowler, depending on where that goes, and I guess Smith is kind of in that boat right now as well, there's not a, uh, a lot going on, especially since we're going to be having Cole Garner and Matt Miller at least likely, possibly... Leaving, which kind of makes the next guy, the next outfielder on the depth chart, be Charles Blackmon. And a lot of people are getting very exciting, excited about Blackmon's potential that he's really been stepping it up in his uh, final league playing time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he had a pretty good season, he, especially in the second half. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's very promising for the future. I mean, a lot of people see Blackmon as being a Ryan Spielborg type, not being really a starter, but being a solid player, mm-hmm. kind of guy you would not hate to have any twenty-five man roster at all. Yeah, in fact, I, th- I can't remember if it was David Ono or somebody else who was tweeting that uh, there's a possibility that uh, he somehow finds himself sooner rather than later into a uh, fifth outfield spot. Yeah, Just kind of kind of like how Ryan Spielborgs did uh, starting yeah. that way. Yeah, I agree. I like the idea of it. Um, but so, for now, um, I'm, I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to hope we do something great, but I'm really not going to you know, hate myself if we don't. Just real quick, we're already at about 42 minutes, so I just want to bring up one more position. What do you think about catcher in this last week? <clears throat> I think Olivo's gassed. I would almost rather play, I, I mean, I not saying you suck, you're being benched, but let's get, get McHenry in there, just for the hell of it. Yeah, I, 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 have we seen McHenry catch? Nope. I thought he might have made it in for like two innings at the end of a game once, but that might have been Paul Phillips and they put McHenry somewhere else. I thought there was one point where like Paul Phillips was at first base and McHenry was catching, but it might have been Ionetta who was catching at the time. So Yeah, but uh yeah, McHenry needs to have some playing time. Um Ionetta's been hitting the ball well lately. I understand him not getting the start on Sunday because maybe it's a night after a day a day after, right. after a night. But uh I don't know. I think he is uh at least making some very small strides to get himself some more playing time. Ionetta is? Yes, I know it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, he's certainly been effective over the past couple weeks, for the most part. He was effective in, uh, I guess it was yesterday's game, he was productive, but... Um, and I could launch into Ionetta talk for a long time. I mean, if you saw my article on Wednesday, that, yes. that monstrosity with all the charts and stuff. <laughs> um, I think Ionetta should definitely... I mean, if given consistent playing time... Well, the, the problem with him seems to always be... That Never mind the fact that he doesn't put good contact on the ball all the time, that he's too much of a fly ball hitter and he has a low batting average. It seems like he can never work out a funk, because the minute he hits a funk, the backup suddenly gets extremely hot. There's nothing you can do about it, because you got to play the hotter hand there. We're not talking like, you know, he's hitting 10 points better or something like that. I mean, 
Like, beginning of the season, Ionetta had the starting role. Miguel Oliva tore the cover off the ball. I mean, last season, when uh, Ionetta hit his hit his funk, Tori Elba got incredibly hot and batted, like, 340 or something like that. <clears throat> and not to try to start another catcher war here at all, it just, it's frustrating for him, purely for his sake, that whenever he seems to hit a cold streak, they, the, the other guy seems to fight for the job right at that point there and get hot, so you kind of can't take the spot away from him. Mm-hmm. So you would say we should alternate McHenry and, I, and Ionetta through the rest of the yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. Or even, I mean, just, and, and again, not to be an indictment of Miguel Olivo, but the guy's caught, you know, 110 games a season or whatever, and any hopes they had of that option, not the mutual option uh, uh, contract clause not to come into play is gone now that he's uh, he started today. But um, yeah, he he has he needs five more I think before that uh, that hits. No, I thought it was I thought it was today when it vested. This was a hundred tenth start for him. I thought it was somebody tweeted yesterday that he needed six more starts. Well, and we, can look, we should probably look into that. But the entire point of it is is the man is gassed. Mm-hmm. And I I don't mean to make it an indictment of him, but you can just see he's had a couple good games here and there, but since August he has just done nothing at all. I mean nothing. And I don't mean, like, once again, not meant to be an Ionetta versus Alivo argument in any stretch there, but since the two of them came, since Ionetta came back up from AAA, Ionetta has out-OPSed Miguel Alivo by about 100 points. And mm-hmm. a lot of that is because of how bad Alivo's August was. And not to say that Ionetta's wasn't that much, so much better that you obviously start Ionetta, but <clears throat> um, it was, that's how bad his August was and how very unimpressive his September has been that he has sunk as far as he has. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, really, Olivo just looks exhausted. Let him ride the pine, double switch if you have to with him, stuff like that. But just like, hey, you took us as far as you could, man. You did a great job, great job. We, we want to have you back next year, etc. But no more him this season. That's my opinion. I think it's fair. And, uh, you know, I, I can't find what what I was looking at with that option thing right now, but I was pretty sure that he uh, did not, that he was still some amount away. Maybe I'm somehow confusing that, and that was something I read last week, but I thought it was more recently than that. Either way, um, we can talk about Miguel Olivo's future with the team later, but right now, uh, there's really not a whole lot of need to uh, give him a lot of innings. Make sense? Fair enough? Agree? Disagree? Sounds right to me. Okay, well, we've got one more week of the regular season. We will be back next week, and we'll probably be talking about the playoffs. Uh, maybe talk about who we're going to back and who we're going to root against and that sort of thing. And then two weeks from now, we'll have a, a special edition, I guess, where we'll recap the season and maybe go over some uh, some ups and downs and uh, some of our opinions about uh, just, uh, you know, uh, how the team did and where they need to go from here. So for in terms of this week, uh, we are wrapped up. I will thank you all for, for listening, as always. And on behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you next week. Take care.